Hello, everyone. Welcome, uh, Becky and Richards. Um, it's morning here for me and Richard. Uh, Becky, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. It's uh, the sun has been shining in Michigan, so it was a beautiful day today. It was. So, what time is it over there? It is eight o'clock in the ah. evening. All right. Let's start with the first question. And um, I would uh, frame it like, so tell me who Becky Andre is. Hmm. Well, that's a really complex answer. Um, so I have many different roles. So um, I'm, a, I'm a mother, um, first and foremost. So I have a teenage son that uh, has me experiencing VUCA every single day, sometimes minute to minute. So I feel like I'm becoming an expert at that. Um, and then I also wear this, a couple of other hats where I am CEO of Vertical Leadership Consulting, where we really help leaders develop their complexity of thinking. And then we also really activate high quality connections within organizations. And then the third role or the kind of hat I have on is academia, where I'm finishing up a PhD and I'm looking to contribute to um, the research and literature within those two realms. Uh, there's oh, already two, question, two extra questions within that, Becky. So, Pardon? So there's already two quest further questions within that. So let's, <laughs> let's start off by asking the, the simple question about the complexity of thinking. What is it? Mm, yeah. So it's basically um, adult development theories brought into the business world in a way that actually is actionable and understandable by business leaders. So um, complexity of thinking is the, our ability to take the knowledge that we have and apply it in complex ways. So if you think about it from a systems thinking perspective, um, it's one, one thing to the shift to go from linear thinking, black and white thinking to just beginning to see systems or beginning to see grays, then you begin to activate it even more. So you're not just seeing grays, you're actually beginning to see some shades of color um, and then being able to see things beyond just 2D or 3D, being able to see how things are nested within each other. So different levels of leadership require different levels of complexity of thinking. And so it's not about reaching the highest level. It's about understanding the complexity facing the role and, and making sure the person has the capacity to meet those demands. Um, so is it, is it like some of these things where you see teal at the top and, and these, 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 the ego development models or, or is it different? It's a little bit different. They, um, they measure somewhat of the same um, constructs and they're within the same literature in academia. Um, but complexity of thinking is really focused on the cognitive, all right, where the teal and the ego and the integral um, look at it from more of a holistic um, perspective. Um, but for me, complexity of thinking and, and the models and methods that I use, it's really about the cognitive of helping you actually be able to handle the complexity that you're facing. How do, how do you capture that? And how do you, yeah, how do, how do you improve it? Yeah. So one thing, uh, if we kind of think about it, it, we start out with this with children, right? And, and the environment really um, supports the child in moving into these new cognitive ways of describing things and being able to move into from the concrete to the abstract. Um, but what happens in adulthood is even though the world is making demands on us, sometimes we're not supported in that way. So 
What I do is I help leaders, we focus specifically on their decision-making. So what is your capacity right now to complexly think in decision-making? What do you consider contextually? Um, what's your collaborative capacity in working with others? How do you coordinate perspectives um, to make meaning out of it? And um, you know, what are your decision-making skills? Do you, do you really have a decision-making process or do you just um, follow you know, the, process, the task list or the checklist that you were trained on? Um, you know, there's a whole slew of available decision-making models available to us. So that's how I work to activate complexity of thinking for leaders. Okay, thank you. And so the second question, um, so high quality uh, connections, related, separate, what are they? Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, they kind of are related. And that's one of the things I'm studying in my uh, dissertation. So more to come on that. Um, but high quality connections is really about um, energy, all right? So when we're connecting and interacting with people, whether it's a, a momentary thing, 30 seconds, you know, three minutes to something that's ongoing, it's this ability that when we interact with them, we feel energized. It's like we've got a boost of energy um, and just having that conversation and that connection with them versus a low quality connection is where um, you almost feel like you've been around an energy vampire where they just sucked you dry of every bit of energy or enthusiasm you had. And so um, for me, it's really about taking a look at the way work is structured. Um, we have a lot of energy vampires out there. Even work just itself can be an energy vampire. And so it's all about activating better connections um, so that people, you're creating energy for the organization and the individuals. Can you describe a, a sort of a high quality connection? Are there certain elements that happen? There are certain elements. So there is a sense of vitality. So you have a sense of feeling energized. There is a sense of um, mutuality, uh, feeling that you're cared and respected. Um, and so those are the elements that really go into a high quality connection. We kind of activate that by taking a look at how do we make sure we're providing helping, um, the activation, creating resources, trusting, um, those types of things, creating connections and play. Um, I'm forgetting the gentleman's name that did some research on teamwork. We're just getting them into the different break rooms at the same time, actually improved customer service. Um, and so that's what High Quality Connections is all about. It's about creating those, those play moments um, those times to interact. So I think I think it's possibly Pendant, Alex Pendant, you're referring to with, yes. with the yes. coffee breaks in, in the in the the bank, um, etc. When he, against all of the the bank expectations, uh, he he experimented with uh, coffee breaks um, for the customer service team so they could have coffee breaks and lunch together. Where the, previously the bankers said, no, no, they've all got to sort of you know one can go at a time because we've got to keep an answering calls and and. A massive increase in, in effectiveness and, and, and efficiency in answering calls and, and solving problems and, and engagement with the job and all these kind of things. Yeah. Um, so that that's that kind of stuff is is what you're looking is to inject these moments in into the workplace. Yes. Yes. Um, both individually, but also to architect it. Right. I mean, to think about what is the design of work um, and and how do we shift that to create more opportunities for high quality connections. Mm -hmm. Becky, do you have any examples that illustrate 
companies, organizations that actually have done this really well in terms of design architecture of this environment? Of high quality connections? Um, I mean, I don't have any that come to mind specifically. There are organizations that have been out there that have been working on this and it's um, becoming more and more popular. Um, one of the difficulties with high quality connections is you have to make sure that it really matches the culture, right? And that you have leaders ready to um, activate it and, and continue to create and cultivate um, going forward. Uh, when when you talk about these these connections to to leaders, now I'll, I'll, I'll let's separate this to leaders who perhaps don't have the complexity of thinking yet. You mm-hmm. say let, let's put, let's put in these high quality connections. I mean, the same does the same challenges as Pentlands come up that, that the leaders say, well, that's not really work. You know, having letting them have coffee breaks together is is not really work, and, and we should have them at their computers. And and, and if, if that does come up, how do you uh, overcome it? Well, I mean. Richard, and you've probably experienced this too, and Oscar, you probably have as well. Um, in business, we don't really take evidence-based approaches, right? And some of that is because we don't have the complexity of thinking. We just see a problem and then we try to tap on a solution or a Band-Aid when really we need to take a step back. If, if a leader has that complexity of thinking, they can take a step back and say, okay, what is the context of the situation we're facing? How do I frame it? Um, what's going on? And then once you take more of that evidence-based approach, then that's where you can start to take a look at some of the things that Alex had done where you can start to experiment, right? Um, and, uh, but experiment in a very smart way, right? Not just haphazardly going about trying different things. Um, and, uh, you know, there's lots of examples of people that, you know, test some things out. I'm trying to think, there was one that I heard recently at a conference was quite amazing. Oh, they were looking at the incentives for salespeople and uh, for dealerships of, of cars. And what they wanted to do was to change the payment. So they were gonna pay them up front. They thought if they paid the dealers up front, they'd end up getting more sales. And um, they had someone that took an evidence-based approach so they had a control group and then they had um, people in it. And what they found is uh, the importance of the control group was the sales actually were higher, like the percentage of sales grew higher in that control area, but in the area where they were changing the sales um, incentive payout, there was an increase in sales. So without that control, they would have not realized, I mean, they would have left millions of dollars on the table because they would have had uh, an approach that validated what they thought, right? Um, without realizing how much money they were going to be leaving on the table. And so that's that complexity of thinking, that ability to say, okay, we need to take an evidence-based approach. We need to look at it holistically and move things forward. Um, and and I, as you know, I've, I've read a lot into uh, around liminal connections and, and sort of the, the idea that the most meaningful connections and, and the ones that are most likely to create innovative moments and, and, and great idea solving are the ones that happen in a liminal space and an in-between space where you're transitioning out of work into into some other role and you 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 with another person um, and, and who's doing the same thing and, and you you end up talking almost randomly about family and about interests and things and then you then you move into talking about work um, and, and that's when the, the, the conversations happen. So, so in Sweden, they sort of, they sort of made this into a into a ritual 
so the fika ritual where the whole company gets together and has coffee together and, and a couple of times a day and and, and sort of chat and, and get to know each other um so my my worry is it's a double worry so it's a sort of a double question so one is that that uh, the pandemic has, has stripped out these spaces, so, so there are fewer spaces to, to, to do this kind of work in any way, even, even if, if it does get valued. And the second one is because it isn't really valued, you're seeing lots of organisational redesigns, which are also stripping out these kind of spaces, and, and it's like everything has to be utilised for effectiveness. So, so, so it's a tough question. I mean, how do, how do we continue to have these conversations if, if they're, they're the two dimensions that, that are impacting them and are going to continue to impact them as we go forward. So what, so the question, I just want to make sure I understand the question you're asking. Mm -hmm. So you're asking based on the fact that we're moving away from even just these random chance encounters, mm -hmm. um, how do we keep active? Like what's the what's the downside of it? What's the dilemma? Is that what you're asking? Well, yeah. So so the so we've seen in workplace strategy that the sort of reduction that, that, that every space has to be utilised and, mm. and you know everything's got to be effective and efficient and etc. And we we we're we're seeing during the pandemic we're we're all stuck at home and we it's impossible to have these kind of conversations at home. So I'm I'm just sort of worrying wondering how do we keep them alive how do we see how do we push the value of them given what we've been going through the last year plus the trends i see in, in workplace yeah well i think there's a, a couple of things at play here richard um one is you know we tend to operate in um kind of a meta worldview of thinking things of separate distinct command control metrics right i mean i've seen Many, I mean, most organizations and businesses are still driven by those metrics, things that we can measure, things that we can control. Um, and what ends up happening when we don't have kind of that heart side and that caring side is, I mean, you and I have done some, some writing about this. It, it does create disease, right? Um, I remember there was one executive team that um, they reported into a president that all he cared about was metrics. And... Um, you know, and I watched these executives, um, three of them got um, life-threatening cancer. One of them died from a heart attack um, and everything was just about metrics, you know, getting things done. And so it has a real impact, but I do think, um, Richard, it has to start, you know, at the top, there has to be a willingness to say, I care. Um, and I just was watching uh, the Chopani, Chopani yogurt guy uh, did a talk on his start and how he really cared about people. And that's where he started from. And so I feel like we really have to start injecting more of that human side into it of being able to do things. And the other part that I think is a really benefit to doing that is um, a lot of people are doing a second job because they don't feel cared for. They don't feel like they can trust people. They're doing a whole second job that's, that's a drag on the organization. They're covering their ass. Um, you know, they're saving emails, they're making sure they're saying the right things, they're doing impression management. Um, and so when we don't have kind of this capacity to, to be human and to create these connections, um, but I do think we can do it virtually, but you have to be very purposeful about it. I mean, it can't just be about achieving a specific outcome or a specific activity. I mean, you have to really create these spaces where people can 
um, really connect. Uh, Becky, I, I, I like to go back to, uh, to the last thing that you said about uh, purposeful, right? So um, my, my background is actually in co-working and, and I'd like to hear your, your view on this because you know, we, we've seen the rise of um, flex office in the 80s and of course in the 90s we had the co-working space and, and that was sold as, as what you are researching as well about connectivity. And, and, and so what, what's your, what, how do you see co-working? Because I know that you've worked at the co-working space without naming where that was, but <laughs> um, is that, are they actually doing the right thing? And if not, what do they do wrong? Well, I mean, I don't know if all of co-working spaces are doing the right thing, right? Um, but you have to, you have to design it in, all right? And so with this high quality connections, you know, there's, there's four elements. You have to make sure that uh, people feel that there's helping, they know where to go for the resources, they know that there's respect, they know that there's trust and, and they know that there's play. And so, um, you know, people pick up on subtle cues on what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable. And, and so I had one experience where I went in and I mean, it was very clear that I was to be quiet and there were certain areas I, would not, I was not supposed to sit in and there were certain resources that weren't accessible to me. Um, there wasn't really anyone to help me navigate the space, all right? So it wasn't a really energizing place to be. Now I've been to other locations where there's co-working where those things were at play, right? I'm, I'm greeted when I come. Um, I'm told where all the resources are. I'm introduced to people. Um, there's very clear different spaces where you can go do quiet work, where you can do collaborative work. And so that's where, you know, for high quality connections, it's, it's thinking about designing this in. So just simple things like when someone first joins, what, what do I want their experience to be and how do I craft that? And it's the same within an organization. Yeah, well, I know that, uh, Rich, you've worked at a few uh, spaces as well, so I'm sure you've got an opinion on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, it, it, one of the interesting challenges I think co-working spaces have, and I think this might might reflect back on, on more the complexity of thinking, is the, the entire experience for me is reliant on the, on the front desk team, the, the community team. Um, and I've worked with uh, a couple of exceptional community teams. I mean, just mind-blowingly good. And they're the two best co-working spaces I've ever seen. And so this was, this was sort of some of the work I was doing a few years ago. And, and they just had this ability to, to proactively solve problems before they became anything. And, and, and they knew each customer by name. And, and, and a couple of them were so good. Not only do they know the customer by name, they knew where they'd been. The last year they've been on the trip they knew where the trip was where the trip was and what it was about and you know etc so, so when they'd come in they say oh i haven't seen you for 15 days how was madrid yeah. um and 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 that and then they'd shake them by their hands and they'd um and, and so that and, and so one of them they, they so one of them they found out that i hated being even though i i, I call myself dr richard clayton on linkedin that i hate the, the, the anyone using the title doctor so every time I went in there, they'd just go, doctor, because there was this play going on. Yes. Um, uh, but that's unusual. I've never seen another co-working space with this quality of team because to get that quality, you have to pay a bit more. 
in my experience. And, and, and that's not what's going on. It's a scaling effort where, where the, the real wages are stagnated and they're just there sitting there following orders. So would you see well, a my, similar thing happening, Becky? Well, and my guess is if you peeled back a little bit, it probably wasn't just about getting tasks done either, right? Um, it was probably about building connections and caring for them as individuals so that it, it went out to other people as well. I'm sure there was a lot more architected there. Um, but yes, I mean, I do, I do see those types of things and, um, those are going to be necessary and we not only need to be able to activate it in person, but we have to learn how to activate it digitally as well. Um, you know, we have to learn how to connect with each other, how to look each other in the eye, how to just have some space and time to have conversations and discussions. Um, yeah, but I'm glad you had that experience. What a lovely experience. It was fantastic. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. Still, I'm still friends with that, that, that customer service team. They don't work there anymore, but, but yeah, they're, they're still people that I'm actually going, I'm, I'm actually having a drink with one of them this evening. Um, mm. So, so there's still that we built that relationship and, and, and it, it was wonderful. That's what I want to see, but I don't, I don't see the models existing properly yet. Um, and I, I think your work actually talks to, to, to both of this is, is that one, the complexity of thinking is not there around how, how you design this. And, and two, there's not enough focus on high quality connections within the space and, and, and yeah. what they bring. And that's, that's partly because the members don't understand that either. You know, you try and create something for them and they'll, oh, this is not worth my time. I much prefer to sit in front of the computer. So, so there's, there's some interesting challenges there. Is that your experience as well, Oscar, given that you've, mm-hmm. you've, you've partially run a co-working space? Um, yes, yes and no. Um... I'm very curious about, so especially with Becky's work of how, how people connect and what is a high quality versus low quality. Um, and what you described, Richard, uh, and, and Becky to a certain extent as well, is that, of course, if you just say hello to someone and someone greets back, I would say that's, I would say there's a base level of, of connecting with people, right? That's maybe an entry to f- further conversation. I think the real challenge within workspace in general, not, not just in co-working, is how do we get to that complex uh, on higher level of connection? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I see that where most workplaces really struggle. It's, yes, we have the water cooler moments and every company has that, but how do you intentionally, as you said, uh, Becky, with purpose, create this? So I'd like mm-hmm. to hear what you think on that, uh, Becky. Yeah, um... I mean, it can be complex, right? Because it's contextual. Um, and so that's, that's some of that complexity of thinking is being able to activate, you know, what contextually is happening and, and what's possible. Um, but the high quality connections are, um, I, I, what, here's what I really think it is, is that we have gotten so focused on ourselves, all right? What, what do I need? What do I need to consume? Um, when high quality connections is a way of creating reciprocity, right? Um, so I can create a high quality connection, but when I go in and order a pizza for my son by making eye contact, by um, thinking about it as my job to actually 
create a positive experience for that person that I'm ordering pizza from, right? And so we've just gotten away from this. Uh, we don't think it's our job um, even to create a positive connection or to care about others. I mean, I see it in the drop-off line at my son's high school. You know, everyone is in their car, very individualized, right? Not even realizing that they're in a system, right? We're all in community together, dropping off our children. And they're just concerned about, you know, they'll cut in front of you. It's just, how do I get in and out quickly? And so the more that we can create these, um, you know, if we can architect high quality connections to really kind of create these exchanges, right? And so Oscar, if I'm, you know, one of the things in a co-working spaces is creating the expectation that, you know, we help each other and even showing on a wall the ways that you help each other um, can be really beneficial to starting to create this understanding that we are in connection together. How do you nudge people then? Let's say, I see that a lot of workplaces do have this, right? And so I do believe a lot of workspaces have, have been designed with an intent where people come together. Mm-hmm. But I think that's at physical environment level. What you're talking about is about cognition and behavior. So how do you nudge people to, okay, we have this space here and now what? Yeah, well, I mean, there are so many subtle things that give you clues, whether or not you can spend 15 minutes in the break room, whether you can actually stand at the water cooler and talk to other people, right? And some of this is driven by the leadership that again, is just too focused on the tasks because they don't have the complexity of thinking to see that there are other things that can activate performance. They're just command and control. And so, um, you know, it's all of these little things that go into um, creating a a most effective. Um, So what I do when I'm working with organizations or leaders is to activate awareness, first of all, within themselves. What am I aware of in my body and my emotions and my behaviors and my actions? And then start to activate awareness to the system that they're nested within. What am I creating? what's possible. And while I'm doing this with them, I'm helping to develop learning, continuous learning that's actually going to help activate greater complexity of thinking. So I'm mostly what I'm doing is I'm getting leaders hooked on learning. Um, I'm getting them reconnected with positive emotions of learning so that they can continue to be thinking about these things. But we have to become aware of what's going on. What are those subtle clues that are cues that are happening? What what are people doing? Just stopping and watching. What are they doing? And why How, are they doing it? Why, why have we become so less aware? I mean, is, is it a, a wider sociocultural thing that, 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 that the individualism of, of the West is, is preventing this? Or is it actually organizational um, practice itself you know, or, or a bit of both? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, do you see the same thing in, in Hong Kong? Well, Hong, Hong Kong is a, an interesting case study. So I mean, Oscar and I both both are quite big fans of uh, Richard Nisbet's Geography of Thought, where he argues that, that Hong Kong is, is the place on the planet where you can most 
uh, rapidly toggle between collectivist Eastern perspectives and, and individualistic Western perspectives. So if you can queue up a situation with, a, with Western cues, then Hong Kongers will react as if they were Westerners. And if you, can't, if you queue up the same situation with Eastern cues, then they will react as if they're, they're, they're East Asian. So, so it's a really fascinating place to be. And it's actually, uh, I think it's the massive competitive advantage that Hong Kong has, which yeah. it's sadly not paying any attention to. Um, so, so I, I sort of, um, here, here is interesting because you can do both, but in the West, I'm just wondering, cause you're basically arguing that we need to have a more of this, this awareness of relationships within a network, a more East Asian kind of, kind of thing. Um, and, and there's a little bit of, um, there's a little bit of recent neuroscience, well, it's not even that recent, but McGilchrist is neuroscience. He's basically arguing that we are a collaborative animal. We, we actually, mm-hmm. we need to do this. And we have done this throughout uh, human existence in order to survive. And we, we've, we've just lost sight of the track of, of, of the fact that we, that, that collaboration was core because we, we, we look at it as a, as a survival of the individual survival of the species, selfish gene kind of thing. So I'm just wondering, you know, because you're kind of, you're, you're living in the, the, the most individualistic society in the world. So I'm really interested in how, really, how the hell do you do this? I mean, given those structures. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting in, in the individualized um, way that the U.S. is operating right now. I mean, we're moving into very polarization and to the point where relationships are breaking down between families because they don't believe the same thing that that I believe. And so what's happened from a developmental perspective is, um, and this is me hypothesizing, I don't have any proof of this or any um, data, but what I hypothesize has happened is we've had more people move into the early systems thinking where they can only see a part of the system, right? And so that's, it's their view. And anyone who doesn't see it from their view um, doesn't see things clearly. What they can't see is that each person has a piece of it. It's kind of like the analogy with, um, you know, if everyone is touching a different part of the elephant, they think it's a different thing, right? Um, but there's just this, te- we don't know how to live in tension anymore. Um, again, I think it's because we just have gotten away from being aware. I mean, we used to have to be connected to the land and be aware of what was happening in order to survive. And today you don't have to do that. I mean, where, where do we build awareness? Everything you can go to the grocery store, you can get it, but that also, I do think kind of creates this sense that um, you're not connected to anything. You're not even connected to your food. You're not connected to your community in which you live. I mean, and we have a lot of people that with anxiety, depression, I mean, it's not working. Um, But from the time you're a young child, you're growing up and seeing things. I have to win. Everything is, you know, I, I learn in very segmented ways. I mean, we don't even think about anything in a holistic way. You know, they don't, uh, you know, a lot of kids can't even see the connection between English and math or math and politics. And there's a lot of interconnections there. So um, I think there's a lot of things going on, but I am very hopeful because what I see happening in corporations, especially with COVID um, has activated, there's no denying that our systems are broken. There's no denying that the thinking that got us into these problems and these broken systems is not going to get us out of it. All right. And so I think they're primed and ready 
to start to create. Um, and they had employees that didn't have resilience, right? I mean, I had one CEO um, tell me about when COVID hit, she had to figure out the whole financial plan because her CFO froze. I mean, didn't know what to do. And so here's the CEO trying to like keep everything running and having to figure out financially, what am I going to be able to do and figure out how to keep myself and my family and my employees all safe from COVID. Um, so there's just a lot of things that have activated um, and primed the pump for us to begin to look at things in different ways. And now the question is, is are we up to the task? And from a leadership development perspective, we have to move away from, you know, you go to this class, you go to that class, you take this e-learning, um, it's all entertainment. It, it actually doesn't activate anything. We have to start designing things that actually activate thinking development. Uh, yeah, I would. I, I fundamentally agree. I think one. So one. One of the the interesting challenges and in, and in, in the work I've done in the leadership development space is so much of it comes into how do you engage your employer, how do you motivate your employee, how do you, you know? It's that kind of relationship stuff, which is it's pushing being a hundred years old now. Not quite. I mean, it's perhaps eighty to 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 hundred years old. A lot of this work, and we. we that's where leadership development sits. That's what HR buys. That's, you know, it's, it's, oh yeah, just engage the team, motivate the team, all of this kind of stuff. That's not what leadership looks like. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm wondering how do you, given that that, that sort of uh, the paradigm that we're in, and it's only a very, you know, the bit that's being sold is only a very small part of, of overall leadership understanding. How do we break into that? How do, how do we get people to engage with, with the, the broader stuff out there that you do and, and, and I do, because I, every time I've, I've managed to achieve it, wonderful things happen. Mm -hmm. But the pain is, is breaking through and persuading an organization. And this happens to me all the time. You go to the organization and say, let's do this. And they go, oh, our people aren't ready for that. And you're just like, oh, yeah, but they are. They're craving the, that. Well, they want. So they how, do we, how do we get past that? I, I don't know if I have the answers, Richard, other than we just keep trying. <laughs> And then I think the other thing is that, um, you know, similar to what activated with uh, the drinking dialogues, right? I mean, it's, it's creating those opportunities for collision to happen, um, for different ideas to come together and to have dialogue around things. For me, it's, we have to get out of this fast consumption, right? We have to have these moments of um, engaging and having a relationship with learning and with knowing um, you know, for me, Richard, I just, I just think about, imagine what a company would be capable of if they only did two things. One, just spent some time with their leaders talking about how do we create better caring and connection in our organization, right? So using some models, but having some dialogue and some engagement around that to find some contextual things that will work for you. And two, Imagine if employees just spent two hours a week in learning that was dia dialogical. Just imagine what would be activated. I mean, we've seen it in our community of people that have been engaging with us. Um, and so it's not rocket science and they would get so much benefit out of it, but I, I don't know how you convince them. A lot of people are trying to convince them. Well, Oscar's the most convincing person I know. He, he can believe, <laughs> make me believe that black is white at times. So, Oscar. Maybe he's got the answer. <laughs> yes. 
I don't. Well, it's an interesting subject. Right about the future of leadership. Um, I saw the um, posting yesterday. A few p- people that post this, and ju- just just the definition of leader and leadership, I think, is is still very broad. I mean, everyone seems to have a, a, a slightly different perspective on this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Becky, talking about the the future leadership, how, how do you see lead and leadership? Um. So I probably see it a little bit differently than maybe other people. I mean, there's a lot of people out there trying to come up with these meta theories and meta models. And I mean, yes, please keep doing those things, right? I mean, for me, it comes down to, um, it's it's the two things that I work on. It's, well, three things actually. I mean, it it is leaders need to move away from command and control and start building capacity to be aware to step back and notice what's going on and develop their awareness in these concrete jungles we're living in. And the second thing is, is, um, you know, the World Economic Forum, the past two, um, you know, they put out 2020 top 10 skills. They just put out the top 20, 25 top 10 skills. All of the skills they listed, the quality of them is dependent on the individual's complexity of thinking, all right? It, that hasn't changed. So the names of the skills changed, but the underlying structure of it hasn't changed. And yet we're still not doing anything differently about it. Now we do have some organizations that have made um, some really big commitments. I mean, we see Google moving in that space. We see Novartis moving in that space where they're bringing in people with an adult development um, theory and background to, to help them activate those, the complexity of thinking. But I mean, that's, that's what we have to be doing Um, and then the third thing is just those connections. I mean, we have to get back to the point where you can be, um, to what Richard has said, you know, we have, we can, we can be vulnerable. We can talk about what we're good at and what we're not good at it and, and create what the Avengers do where they have each other's back. I mean, they minimize the, the weaknesses that the person has, and then they, they maximize their strength. And if we, I mean, for me, that's what leader and leadership is about. And I, I also see as this new generation is coming up, I think shared leadership is going to be more activated than we ever thought was possible. Um, you just look at what's happening with TikTok, with the online video games. Um, these people, I mean, these kids aren't owning it. They're not leading it. They're activating a collective, a, a shared leadership. And I, I think we're going to see that um, come forth even more in the future. It's, so that's interesting, Becky, because I think you've got, you frame one of the interesting challenges that, that we have in leadership development at the moment. Um, I think interesting is perhaps the wrong word, but I mean, the most complex challenge. Um, so a lot of, a lot of these, these, these ego development models, I'll use Torbett's uh, mm-hmm. as an example, where they talk about these, these higher levels of leadership where, where the magic happens. Um, and then they just say, well, only, you know, one percent of the population gets there or it happens in glimpses. So we have we have this this model where it says, well, it takes you it'll take you 30 years to get there. And out of every 100 people, 0.1 will actually ever get to the top level. Um, and that, you know, if that's the model of development, then we have a real problem because if I were an executive, I'm not going to buy that. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. ridiculous. And that's not the model I use, by the way. <laughs> no, but, but I know it's not the model you use, but that's, that's where I'm coming to the, to the question because I yeah. know you're looking at accelerating, accelerating development. 
So how do you accelerate development and what kind of organization will that create? If this, is, if this accelerated development is happening across an entire organization, what's going to bubble up out of that? Yeah, I mean, for me to, to activate it, and again, you know, ego development is a little bit different from um, dynamic skill theory that I use. You know, ego development is looking at the whole person. Um, so thinking about the emotions and the spiritual side and, and the holistic side, right? Um, the, the theory that I orient on is that your complexity of thinking depends on the domain that you're in, all right? And for leadership, it's about decision-making, all right? Whether it's shared or whether it's individual, the core work of leadership is making everyday decisions, right? Who's going to do what, by when, where are we going to put the resources? I mean, I think I read 35,000 decisions in a day. Does that, I mean, I think that's what I remember reading. I mean, it's insane, all right? But we don't do anything around helping people make better decisions. And so for me, that's where I activate the development. And what I see happening is really fast movement. So as soon as I start to introduce that there's this model of complexity of thinking and, and here's where you are. And I, by the way, I don't think it should be, we should reach all these higher stages. For me, it's what is the complexity of the work you're doing? All right. And what do you need to be able to do to match that complexity? Now, collectively, We've not, been, we've not been able to show that we can raise higher than an individual, which means that we have to make better use of, and I'm going to call them elders. We need elders in organizations. I mean, we cut from the top. We offer early retirement. We need those people, we, but we need to be using those people to activate the younger people, right? To, to do it collectively and shared. Um, so for me, it's really about how complex is the task facing us? How do we put together a team that can um, collectively and be guided by someone who has the complexity of thinking to do that? And then, so like Richard, for someone like you that can complexly think, you should be having 20 teams that you're mentoring, right? I mean, think about how much that could activate within an organization. Um, and we just have to start structuring and organizing things in smart ways. And it's not about getting a leader 30 years later ready. We've got to get them ready for the complexity that they're facing now. And we, we can't stop doing it. I just want to a clarification question. You said the, 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 the complexity of the, team, of the collective can't raise above that of the individual. What, what did you mean by that? So with the current research that has been done, I think this is an area that needs to be researched further, but the current research has shown that um, the collective is limited by the highest person. So they collectively cannot achieve higher than what the highest person in that group is from a complexity of thinking standpoint. But I say that in that it's been very limited, the research. I think that um, you know it's something that really needs to be explored further. I, I believe that that could be an area that's wrong. Um, but right now, that's what the research is telling us. So, so within within the research at the moment, there's, there's sort of a suggestion that you need an elder figure or, a, or even perhaps a trickster figure within, within a team yes. That, yes. that's enabling that team to, to grow because that person's already grown. Yes. And, and, and if you just find someone about a level above the team, then everyone grows to the level above and then, then everyone develops and, and good things start to happen. But yes. and this this is really um, fascinating because I, there's a wonderful piece of research on uh, complex complex project project management and and there was a the research there was a lady in the company they were trying to downsize 
and there was this lady in the company and they said, well, you know, she's never been, she's not particularly good coder and she's not particularly good at QA. So we, we should probably get rid of her. And the researcher said, yeah, but she's the only person in your company who's never been on a failed project ever. <laughs> so she's doing something else that is, and, and what they, they so within, within the com complexity research, she, she was managing the complexity of interaction. She was making sure that everybody was raised to a level where they could have high quality connections and solve problems and, and, and get better at the, the, the bits they were at. So it's a wonderful example. And of course they let her go anyway. Of course. They, <laughs> so so that's, that sort of sums up the challenge for me is even when you have someone like this, and I think Adam Grant, some of Adam Grant's research talks to this as well. They're so busy helping everybody else and collaborating with everybody else. They burn out or they're, they're, they don't make their own KPIs and they're perceived as the, the one to get rid of rather than the one that's, ena that's enabling everything. So do you, do you yeah. see any examples of that in your own work and research? Oh, all the time. I mean, oftentimes I'm working with leaders that a company has deemed needs help, right? And then we do the complexity of thinking assessment and I can tell that they're thinking more complexly than the people they're reporting into, all right? And that's the problem is that it's almost like their manager is inside a birdcage and they can't see anything but through the, through the, through the bars, right? And the employee has been out over the landscape, flying all over the place and sees the whole context and the whole situation and comes back, but the manager can't see beyond the cage that they're in. And so oftentimes when I'm working and Richard, I think it ties so well into the research you do around irony, um, you know, they take on these roles, right? To survive uh, because they're not valued. I mean, because these people can't think this complexly. And so when I'm working with leaders, oftentimes I'm teaching them how to translate back. Right, And that's really the work. If you can activate elders in an organization, it's helping them understand where they're at and how to translate back. You know, if you look at um, the indigenous wisdom that, uh, that has been in our history, there were ceremonies, there were rituals that activated these different roles that you took on, right? And within businesses, we don't have this clearly marked. It's, uh, you know, it's all hierarchical. You just move up the ladder instead of really thinking about what have, what, what, what is your complexity of thinking and how do we activate that in the organization? I mean, Richard, imagine if some of those people had been valued for what they were capable of doing um, and what would have been possible for the organization. So, so in, in my research, uh, we, we look at the, the people in those positions being able to, to see the absurdity and find it funny. Mm -hmm. uh, and that then, of course, they're, 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 they're capable of playing that role quite well, rather than getting stressed out by, and, and I, 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 the way I see what you're doing is that you're, you're helping the more stressed out versions who are like, oh, but I can see this world and nobody's listening to me. They don't see the absurdity as well. They don't um, see it, but I'm helping activate it, right? So I'm helping mm. them bridge and get to what you're what you're talking about. Yeah, and excellent. What role do you want to play? Yeah, and so that and, and so one more question in relation to this. So once you've done this, you know they're still reporting into somebody who's 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 mm. got a, a worse complexity of thinking for them. Does the company begin to see their value in a different way? So do you do you have that bridge connecting them with with the, the really high level management and that you sort of said to them, look, this, this person needs to be nurtured, needs to be looked after and needs to be given better opportunities. Or is it just teaching them to, 
to, to develop this role that, that, that they can yeah. they can work with? It depends on the coaching contract that I have. Some of the coaching contracts, there's confidentiality. So I don't engage with um, the organization. So it's just working with the individual to say, here's what, here's what you need to be doing to be most successful. Um, but they do, their perception does change, right? Because now they know how to play the game and they know the role that they feel comfortable playing. So it's no longer stressing. It's, I mean, it's really playing. I mean, when you're at complex thinking levels beyond people, you get to play a little bit and have a little bit of fun, right? And that, that creates the challenge that you need to keep you moving forward. Um, but I do have um, one organization where I work with all of their leaders and the CEO, and um, it is really fun. Uh, in fact, um, both the HR person and the CEO said to me, we would not have been able to achieve what we achieved because we know behind the scenes, you're making things better between each of us. And so I am, I'm, I'm making recommendations on, on how you should be showing up, what role you should be playing on the leadership team based on your skill set and your, your capacity to think. Um, and then I'm help, but mostly I've been helping also the CEO know where people are at and how to start activating their development. So he knows what questions to ask and, and what types of activities to give them to help them grow into that new way of being. Really, really good. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift into what we call the $9 trillion question, okay. um, which is, unless Oscar has anything to ask first, because he's been very quiet. Oh, go, go ahead. I do okay. have a question, but go ahead. Um, so the $9 trillion question for me is, is okay, so I, 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 you know, you, you finish your PhD, um, you write a book, uh, which I know you're going to, it's going to freak you out having to do more writing, but you, th this work becomes sort of mainstream, you know, people like you have all of these teams come, you know, you're mentoring and coaching within these teams and, and then creating the, this, this developmental practice. And this becomes a commonplace uh, developmental practice across all organizations. Okay. <laughs> what then happens to the world? Mm. And for nine trillion dollars, because there's a lot of money if, if that, that can be activated or, you know, so what happens to the world? I don't know if I have the answer to that, Richard. I mean, because it, then it's going to, the next growth edge is going to emerge, right? I mean, the next thing that we can't imagine that's going to be possible is going to start to become possible. Um, it, it's just, I mean, there's always that growth edge collectively and individually. And um, so the next one will just be, will emerge as the next lesson to learn. Which is why Oscar and I use the Star Trek metaphor. New, new worlds, new, new civilizations, mm -hmm. new frontier, all of this kind of stuff emerges in the exploration. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. It's, it's, it's something interesting will happen and, and some more boundaries will be will be reached and and we we will be energized by the the, the, the journey i think is, is yeah. a good answer i think there was a quote in a poem um or a line in a poem that goes something like the further shore is possible from here and so every time we activate these new things there's always a further shore that um we can achieve but you can't see it till you get you know, a little bit closer. So, wonderful, Oscar. You've been very patient. <laughs> no, no, yeah, of course. I'm, I'm, I'm carefully listening to you both. Um, one thing that interests me as well. Uh, you mentioned uh, back here at the start about uh, the Fuka environment, right? And then you also mentioned about um, uh, decision making. 
So mm-hmm. I just wonder if you look forwards, you no. Know, so we live in a you now environment that seems to become more and more complex. We have more information that's available to us. Uh, so when you work with people, uh, so how how do you actually make them sort of future ready? Yeah. What is yeah? What is your approach to that? Well, I mean, let's be clear. VUCA has been around the entire human existence. All right. Um, there's always been volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. What is different about today is how digitalization has changed, has accelerated the pace of change. All right, which makes VUCA feel very much more prominent um, because the it's it's accelerating and it's moving and changing faster. Um, but it's, it's really the assessment that I use. It's uh, the VUCA skills, the skills needed to manage VUCA is your ability to have collaborative capacity, contextual thinking, coordinate perspectives and have decision-making skills. That's it. So you, you, this is interesting. You say accelerated this, the pace of change because I'm not sure if it's accelerated the organizational pace of trade or, or that kind of. No, we, they we, are like the dinosaurs, Richard. No, there's there's something in 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 behavior and social that it's it's massively accelerated. But within organizations and and with even within even technological development, it, it's a myth that we're developing tech faster than we used to we're just not we're doing yeah. you know there's software developments going on under the scenes that's changing processes and practices but we're not you know yeah. we're, we're not developing cars and refrigerators and washing machines and all of these kind of things simultaneously we're, we're, we're nowhere near as quick as we were um 100 odd years ago um so there's a little bit of a myth there so I, is it is it really around the pace of social change that's the problem we've, we've got to work out how to manage and live in a, in a, in a place yeah. where, where identity is fluid, more and more fluid and, and society is more and more fragmented. I think that's a very good point, yes. And even, um, yeah, I mean, just a lot of what organizations are doing, they're stuck in some old models, right? That keep us stuck um, instead of moving forward. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And then there's the interconnectivity. So the, 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 an organization can't just look at its its dominant home market because of the global the globalized world it can be attacked you know so a, a, a company a, an american company can be attacked by a south korean startup that it's never heard of doesn't know it exists so you've got that interconnectivity which is something else that that's, that's we've always been interconnected but interconnected within villages or within nations and now it's within the globe and that's something else we're struggling with it so is, and, and, and it's part of complexity of thinking. It's mm-hmm. it's your ability to contextualize things, right? Are you stuck in just your local or your region or your industry, or are you seeing things beyond um, what's in your scope? Mm. Richard, and especially Becky, uh, thanks for um, staying up, I think, because it's later for you, uh, and Richard for uh, getting up in the morning. <laughs> I'd like to thank you for this uh, discussion. Yeah, thank you. Thanks.